Thank you. Good morning. So good being with you. And what a wonderful worship. I, I don't know, um, we're going to be talking about the book of Hebrews, but it feels like Justin sang every word from the book of Hebrews in our worship this morning. It's so amazing. So this morning, Sia said we got to be uncomfortable. So can I get you to do something maybe a little uncomfortable this morning? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sit in your seat in such a way that you can get both your feet on the ground. Kind of, are you, you happy to do that? All right, you got that? Now what I want you to do is I want you to take your right leg and just lift it a little in the air. And now I want you to make little circles going counterclockwise, anti-clockwise, left to right, whatever works for you. Right? You got it. You're doing your circles. I know the space is tight, but get little big circles going. Okay? Anti-clockwise. Now while you got that going, I want you to take your right hand just kind of put it over your heart, just like this. You're still doing your circle? Don't forget to do your circle. Keep on going. So just hover your hand over your heart like this. Now, while your foot is going counterclockwise, what I want you to do is take your right hand and go clockwise. <laughs> what happens? It's like there's this glitch, right? Somehow your brain is saying there's something wrong. Something is out of sync. Something needs to come into sync with something else. You know, I feel sometimes our Christian lives are like that. You know, we're going this way, but God's going this way. And God is saying, I want your lives to come into sync with what I'm doing. And as a matter of fact, that's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. And this morning, I want to read to you from the gospel of Hebrews. So why do I call it gospel? Um, I actually saw a cartoon a while back of a guy leaning across the rock, and on the rock was written gospel. And this guy came up, and he says, what does gospel mean? He says, it means good news. He says, well, what's good about it? He says, beats the hell out of me. <laughs> Some of you will only get that later. But the gospel means good news. Now, here's the thing about good news. Good news is not good news unless you're included in the good news. Am I right? You know, so many times, what seems to be good news is not really good news. For example, two people applying for the same promotion in a company, right? One gets it, that's great news for him, but not so good news for the other one, right? So not everybody was included in this good news. Good news is only good news when we're included. It's like you calling me up and saying, hey, Shavian, I just dug a swimming pool in my backyard and I've struck oil. I'm going to be rich. And I'm going to go, well, that's great news for you. Unless you called me to tell me you're going to share 50% of that wealth with me. Then it's good news for both of us. Then I'm included in this good news. So this morning, let me start by reading the first few verses from the book of Hebrews with you. In Hebrews 1 verse 1, it starts this way. It says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. 
sustaining all things by His powerful Word. And after He had provided purifications for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty in heaven. And so He became as much superior to the angels as the name He has inherited is superior to theirs. Thanks for coming. Let's pray. This is powerful words. You know, it's, it feels almost, I'm going to do it in injustice this morning, but I'm going to try my best to share with you something that for me is so powerful. It's interesting how this book starts, right? Or rather, doesn't start. If you are familiar with the New Testament, you're familiar with the Bible, you read this, there is something unfamiliar about this. We, we don't see that familiar I, Paul an apostle of Jesus, or I, Peter, an apostle of Jesus. There's no introduction to this book. It, it, it seems like he's just falling through the door into the house, right? It's just like, let's just go. Because you see, this is an interesting book. We don't know who the author was. For thousands of years now, there has been a speculation of who wrote this book. Was it Paul? Was some people actually believe it was a guy called Apollos? Because the Bible gives us so much clues about Apollos that he was this great Greek scholar and he was very good at explaining the gospel of Jesus. Other people believe it was Barnabas, one of Paul's friends that was always traveling with him. We don't know who wrote this book. I personally believe it was probably Paul who wrote this book for, for so many reasons. Because there are so many clues. One of the things we know about this author is that he was extremely well-versed in Greek. As a matter of fact, he quotes 26 times Old Testament verses in this, actually just almost the first few verses or first few chapters of the book of Hebrews. He's just quoting so many Old Testament scriptures. So somebody that knew the Bible really well, we knew this about Paul, right? Paul was really um, great at that. Um, I mean, I don't know what Paul's um, first language was because he grew up in Turkey sometimes and we know he spoke Hebrew because he was studying in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. We know he spoke Greek because he wrote the book of Ephesians. And if you read the book of Ephesians and know anything about Greek in the Bible, you know, we know that the book of Ephesians was written in perfect Greek. So he, he was very well versed in, in this Greek language. So I'm going to credit so many of this because I see so many clues in Hebrews to the life of Paul and other of his writings. We know, for example, that he had a great passion for people to follow Jesus Christ. He never wanted people to fall away. But maybe we don't know who this book was written by. We definitely know who this book was written to. This book was written to a bunch of Jewish Christians. Now you have to understand these were Jewish people. Growing up, grew up in a culture where everything was formed by Jewish law, the Halakha, the, the Jewish law that kind of gave guidance to their life. These guys loved the Sabbath. They loved the feasts. They loved going and reading the Torah, the, the scriptures. And, and it became a cultural identity. It, it became a way of speaking. It became a way of dressing. Um, and so many things. And then Jesus came along, and a lot of Jews started following Jesus. But now, Jesus has died. Jesus rose. Jesus went to heaven. He's now not there anymore. And a lot of these Christians started falling away. They started loving the, the law again outside of Jesus. 
And so the writer of Hebrews comes and, and he says, um, I want to write something to you to make a point. And if I have to summarize this whole book of Hebrews from how I understand the writer of Hebrews wrote it, I'm going to put it this way. Jesus is better. Maybe some of you need to hear that this morning for your own life. Jesus is better. He uses words like Jesus is greater. Jesus is superior. Jesus is more than. Jesus, as a matter of fact, is the first of us. He's the first over everything in our lives. And he was saying to these people, whatever you think you're at or that you want to go back to, can I make a case for Jesus today? That Jesus is better. Jesus is better than anything. And so we read scriptures like later in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, we're going to read words like this in Hebrews 12 verse 3. It says, consider him, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That's what he was writing about. These people were growing weary. They were losing heart in their faith in Jesus. And he starts by saying, consider him. This is my invitation to you this morning. Would you together with me this morning consider him? What are the lenses that we put on when we read our Bible? This morning, I want us to put on the lens of seeing everything from the perspective of Jesus. In Hebrews 2 verse 9, it actually says these words, but we see Jesus. Kind of my personal motto these days. And everything that we read, everything that we do, everything that we see, do we see Jesus in everything? Yeah, we're worried about what's coming Monday, but we see Jesus. Maybe there is a crisis in your life right now. Maybe there's something you're worrying about right now. Maybe there's something that you're praying about right now. You're not seeing. Can you see Jesus? And Jesus wants to come into that space, and, and that's the case that he wants to make today. So we're going to look at stuff in this series as we um, look at Hebrews. And we've actually alluded to this already in the, in the fourth verse that I just read. Where he was saying that Jesus, for example, is better than angels. Jesus is better than the angels. Because angel worship was an actual real problem in first century Christianity. As a matter of fact, that's one of the reasons that Paul wrote the book of Colossians. He addressed the, the book of Colossians to people that were actually involved in angel worship. We see this as his oldest time. We see even some of the kings of Israel and Judah um, who were worshiping angels. And it's possible that some of these Jewish Christians were, were being swept up in this false religion. But whatever that situation was... Paul needed to his, for his readers to understand this thing that, yes, there are angels. As a matter of work, the, the word angel is a, is a Greek word, the word angelos, which literally means messenger. An angel is a messenger. But he's saying, can you look at Jesus, the message? He sends angels to carry his message. We even prayed that this morning. We, we, we know this is actually in the first verse, right? Oh, in the first chapter of Hebrews where he says, All angels are ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit salvation. I remember when we started a church in, in, in Moscow back in the 90s. Um, we were just five little South Africans on a mission in South Africa. We went there and um, we could only 
hire theaters this size. And every Sunday, the five of us would get to church and we would preach to each other. So there was nobody to preach to. But we had a big theater like this. So what did we do? We started laying hands on every chair and said, God, I know there's angels sitting on these chairs. But go out and get the angels go bring the people that's supposed to sit here. We grew a church from five South Africans to over 300 people in two months. Just by saying, God, send me the ministering spirits. And we know there, this was a big thing. There, there were a lot of people that saw angels. Remember, the angels proclaimed that Jesus was coming. And people started taking their eyes off Jesus and started worshiping the messenger. You can read those stories in Revelation 22 as well, right? Where, where John just falls before the angel and goes, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just like one of the prophets. I'm also just a messenger. Let's worship Jesus. Put our eyes on Jesus. Why? Because he is better. We're also going to read stuff later where he says, Jesus is better than Moses. Now, to a Jewish person, there's no greater person than Moses. Why? Because Moses was the deliverer. Moses was the one that gave the law. Nobody is more revered than him. As a matter of fact, if you ask a Jew at that time, if God did not give the Ten Commandments to Moses, who would he have given it to? They would say, no, they would have given it to Ezra. See, not even Jesus comes into that conversation for them when they think about the law, the lawgiver. And so Paul is going to make a case in this, in this book where he's saying, but Jesus is better. Listen to this verse in Hebrews 8 and verse 10. It's not on the screen. I'll just read it to you. In Hebrews 8 and verse 10, he says, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time. And I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. They will be my people. That's good news. I'm included in that good news. He will be my God. I will be, but he's going to write his laws. See, Moses could only give the law. Jesus is the one that can write it in our hearts. He's the one that can appropriate it to our lives. So later on, we're going to read about how Jesus is better than the priesthood. Jesus is the greatest priest who ever lived. It says that we're going to read this in chapter 6 and chapter 7, where it says that Jesus is actually a better priest. Why? He comes from a different order of priests. He comes from this order of Melchizedek. Please don't name your kids that. But he comes from this order, Melchizedek. Who was this guy, Melchizedek? Isn't the priests all from Levi, the Levitical priests? Because you have to understand, Melchizedek was the priest of Abraham. He was the priest for Abraham. Levi was Abraham's great-grandson. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Levi. And the priesthood comes through that. And Jesus wouldn't be part of that. Why? Because Jesus wasn't born from the Levites. Jesus was born from Judah. But it says Jesus supersedes that priesthood because he's from that order of Melchizedek. Let me read this to you in Hebrews 7 verse 27. He says, unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of other people. He sacrificed for the sins once and for all when he offered himself. He's the first of us. That's the final sacrifice. He's the greatest priest. He was sinless. Jesus is better. He also says that Jesus is greater than any sacrifice. 
Jesus was the perfect lamb. I know as we're going into Easter, we're starting to think about these things, right? Jesus was the perfect lamb. You know what I loved about reading about the priesthood? You know, we have all these people with all their sins, and once a year, they would go to the temple to sacrifice. I love what the priest did. You see, when you have to come to the priest, you have to bring a little lamb that was one year old without defect. And they would bring this lamb, and the priest will take the lamb, and he would inspect the lamb. And if the lamb was perfect, and the lamb was blameless, and it was without defect, he would sacrifice this. But see, I also read into the story what the priest didn't ask. Not once did the priest look at you and go, so tell me, tell me of all the sins you did this year. What did you do wrong this year? The priest doesn't do that. He asks one question. Is the lamb perfect? No matter what your sins look like, no matter what you're going through, when God looks at you, he says, was my sacrifice perfect? And the lamb Jesus Christ was perfect. Jesus is a better sacrifice. And then also he speaks about, we're later going to go into Hebrews 9, he speaks that Jesus is greater than the temple. See, as vital importance as the temple was in that time, see, the temple could never answer the sin problem. See, the temple was only a placeholder for when the real comes. And he takes that sacrifice. And then Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians. He says, but don't you know that you are now a temple and that the Holy Spirit lives in you? You have a greater temple. I am now that temple. He's saying Jesus is better. Jesus is better. There's only one thing that Jesus says is equal to. And we're going to read that in Hebrews 11. Jesus says the only thing that's going to be equal to is your faith. Your faith should be equal to that of Jesus Christ. And see, if your faith is then equal to Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden that sign turns. Then all of a sudden my faith becomes greater than. My faith becomes greater than my fear. My faith becomes greater than my problems. Why? Because I see Jesus. I see Jesus in everything. So let me jump into this first verse this morning. And I'm going to be just as surprised as you if I can get past the first, first or two verses. So here in this very first verse, we start seeing how God speaks about his diversity of speech. How God communicates with us. And by the way, when God communicates with us, he includes you and me in the conversation. I think this is a misunderstanding so many times when we talk about prayer. You have to pray. And for a lot of people, prayer means I speak to God. And then I leave because I have to get to work. And we never allow God to speak back. Then it becomes a conversation. That's what prayer is supposed to be, this conversation between me and God. And this is what he's trying to allude to. He says, throughout history, God has spoken to us in many ways, and he has. God has spoken to us through angels. God has spoken through us through a burning bush. God spoke to us through a donkey. God spoke to us through dreams. And um, I know in the Old Testament, God's main communication was, was through the prophets. But he's saying, now that Jesus has come to earth, my final conversation with you is going to be through my son, Jesus Christ. These last days, he has spoken to us by his sons, it says. 
And this Jesus, the Son of God, is more than a mere spokesperson for God. He's more than an angel. He's uh, the final revelation that comes from somebody that's intimately acquainted with throne room thinking. He's somebody that's intimately acquainted with how the Father works and how He operates. And when He speaks about these last days, it means the entire period of history. From the beginning to now and into the future. I love how the Bible starts. In the beginning, God created. Right? In the beginning, God created. How did God create? By speaking. By communicating. And God said. Do you remember that? Verse 3, God said. Verse 6, God said. Verse 9, God said. Verse 11, God said. Verse 14, God said. And so on. God said. God speaks. And he says, in the beginning, God spoke. And then on this verse, he says, now, in the past, God spoke. He's including this whole conversation of history. And he includes you and me in this conversation. He says, in these last days, you see, the prophets came and they gave us the word of God. And here comes Jesus, who is the word of God. How many of you remember that show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? I remember when that show came out, Regis Fullman recently passed away. He was the host of um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And he's the one that started this catchphrase right at the end. Is that your final answer? Yes, that's my final answer. That means it's now locked in. After this, you can't change your answer. You can't change your conversation. You can't change anything. That's what God is saying. I've come to give you my final answer. Here's the final answer. It's Jesus Christ. Around the time of Martin Luther, that's about 500 years ago with the, Revolu um, the, the Reformation, they, they asked this question to a group of uh, scholars and theologians, and this question is still being asked to people today. And they asked this question, what is the one verse that stands out in the Old Testament, and what is the one verse that stands out in the New Testament? Everybody agrees about the Old Testament verse. Everybody agrees that the number one verse in the Old Testament is, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. So much to say about that verse. The one that a lot of people agree on in the New Testament is this verse. It comes from John 19, verse 3. It's where Jesus hung on a cross, and they gave Jesus some of the wine to drink. And when Jesus drank the wine... He cried out, it is finished. And he gave up his life. Here's the conversation that Jesus is saying. It is finished. Everything I wanted to say is done. What the Father said, everything I wanted to say is done. Interesting little word in, in Greek. Maybe you should have heard it. It usually pops up around Easter. Is this word tetelestai, which means it is finished. I love this word in, in Greek. It's this, 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 this word means to complete. It means to accomplish, to bring to an end. Because this word signifies the successful end to a particular course of action. Now in English, this word says, it is finished. Finished is written in the past tense. In Greek, when it's written, it's not written in the past tense. It's written in the perfect tense. Which means it is finished Yesterday, it is still finished today, and it will still be finished 
tomorrow. This conversation is saying, this is a, a conversation that I'm concluding and I'm starting a new one that's going to be about my son, Jesus Christ. If we consider him, then consider what this conversation is that he's having this final word on. This, this word, it is finished. Such an interesting word. We, we see it so many times. And I'm, I'm going to just stand still there for a minute because I need you to get this before we can go on and really understand the book of Hebrews as we go on. This word was actually used in the marketplace. Many times in the marketplace when somebody paid off their debt, they would say, Tetelestai, your debt has been paid. So when Jesus came, he says, I'm having the final word. The debt has been paid. The lamb is perfect. Your sins are paid for. You don't have to pay for them anymore. It was also used in the legal system. It was a word that was privy to, to judges. When somebody had finished their prison sentence, they would come and they would say, your sentence has been fully served. They would say, your sentence is tetelestai. It's done. And the sentence of punishment and judgment for us that we deserve, the time of bondage, it's been fully served. You and I now get to live in victory. It was also used in the military term. It was a term that was so common, you will read this all in the, in the Old Testament, if you read the, Old Testament, the, the Greek version of the Old Testament. This used for so many times, when somebody had won the battle, they would say, the battle is tetelestai, the battle has been fully won. The battle against the devil, against sin, it's been taken care of. It has been taken care of then, it's still taken care of now, and it will be taken care of in the future. Maybe you're facing some battles, you know. Maybe you're worrying about Monday. Maybe you're worrying about other things in life. Jesus is going, get my peace. Stel was reading that this morning. Get my peace. Start taking your, your eyes off the fear and put it back on Jesus. Put it back on Jesus. Your battle has been won. It's also a term that's used in sports. So that a lot in the Roman times. It's when somebody, and Paul uses this word actually a lot. We'll read it in Philippians and so on where he says... My race is finished. I have won the race. It is done. Your race has already been won. As a matter of fact, you know that you can't win your race. Because Jesus already won it. You're going to only come second. <laughs> right? We're just going to come into that victory. And then there's my favorite one. This word is used in arts. You know, I love movies and uh, you know, a Hollywood director, when he makes a movie, he makes this movie this way, that after the, the director has shot every scene, put everything on film that he had in his mind to do. He's the only one that has the privilege at the end of a movie production to use these words. And he would say, everybody, that's a rap. Jesus is saying, everybody... That's a wrap. It's finished. I have accomplished everything I wanted to do. God is saying, get this picture that everything is finalized. Here's the conversation that I want to start with you. Romans 10 is an interesting verse. Romans 10 verse 17 says this. It says, faith comes by hearing. Let me read it. It comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word about Christ. 
the final conversation. I like how the New Living Translation says this. It says, so faith comes from hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Christ. Now, good news is not good news unless I'm included in that good news. I'm included in this story. How many of you have been a Christian for quite a time? You know, a long time. So a lot of you might have forgotten this. But it says, faith comes by hearing. What did you hear the first time? Can you remember that? What was that message about Jesus Christ that you heard that said, hmm, I'm going to follow this Jesus. It says, and you came to faith. And you can put any word in there. I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my heart to Jesus. I became born again. I became reborn. Whatever the case might be, can you remember what did you hear? See, I've asked this question all around the world. Literally, I've traveled and I asked people, tell me, how did you get saved? What, what did you hear? And here's the number one answer I hear. The number one answer I hear is people heard the message of the serial killer bus driver. You know the story of the serial killer bus driver? I grew up that way in church every Sunday. If you walk out of this church today and a bus hits you, where are you going to go? First of all, I want to know who's the serial killer bus driver hanging around churches on Sundays waiting to hit people, right? Where are you going to go? And the first introduction to the good news, the gospel, is a place. Heaven or hell? With the emphasis on hell, by the way, not heaven. They don't tell me how amazing heaven is and what, what's going to go on. No, no, they tell me how bad hell is. And here's the problem. If you get me into heaven with fear, you've got to keep me afraid to keep me there. And then people start preaching a message of condemnation. You're not good enough, right? Here's the problem. Our first introduction to the gospel should not be a place. It should be a person. His name is Jesus Christ. How amazing is Jesus? This is what Paul is going to attempt in this letter. To tell us everything that you think you know, Jesus is better. There is a God that is so interested in you. And then he says, faith comes by hearing what Jesus has to say about you. We'll read this in, in Hebrews 11. It's the faith chapter. Why? Because every person started living up to what Jesus said about them. Gideon, oh, I'm, I'm, I can't do this, God. And God has a different opinion over Gideon's life. He says, but you are a mighty man of valor. He goes, who, me? Moses, he says, Moses says, I can't lead these people. God goes, I will go with you. I'll send you people. Really? You see, all of us might have an opinion about ourselves. Jesus has a better opinion over you. Jesus has something else to say over your life. How much time do I have left? You never told me. So I'm looking forward to spending the next three hours with you. <laughs> All right. No, I'm joking. It's going to be longer than that. <laughs> Who does Jesus say you are? That's what Paul wants to answer. He says this. We're going to read this later in Hebrews 11. Because God had us in mind, He has something better for us. I love this verse. So that they, these men and women of authentic faith, would not be made perfect. That is, completed in Him, a part from us. 
He's saying God has you and me in mind. Psalm 8 verse 5. What is man that you are mindful of us? I love that scripture. What is man that you are mindful? The idea that God fills his mind with you. He's obsessed with you. He wants to have a conversation with you that starts with his son Jesus. And he has something better for us. He's saying, I'm going to be starting to include you in this conversation. He goes on in verse 2. He says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he now appointed heir of all things. Not only is Jesus the final word, and we, spoke, we, 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 said, we sang that song this morning, right? It's his word, I believe it. He's the final word. It also says he is the, the heir of all things. Jesus will possess everything there is to possess. And the Hebrew writer points this fact out. He says, there is no need for you and me to come and listen to the reading of the Father's will. The answer is simple. Everything goes to Jesus. Jesus is the inheritor of all things. This name of Jesus, his name is literally written on the deed of everything, spiritually, emotionally, everything you can think of belongs to him. It's no wonder Paul uses these words in Romans. He says, for him, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Let me read to you the good news this morning. Galatians 4. Because you are his sons, that includes you ladies, I can be a bride, you can be a son. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And so you are no longer a slave, but you are God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. I now get to share in this wonderful inheritance with Jesus. And we can get lost and thought and ideas for the rest of this day, just trying to figure that out. Now, I'm making no excuses for the fact that I'm a hardcore Blue Bulls fan. I, I, I tell people I was born a kilometer from Loftus. I went to school right across the street from Loftus. I must be a Blue Bull. I mean. So I went to one of these Blue Bull games with Loftus, right? And obviously they won. That was a long time ago. And the Blue Bulls won this game. And so Loftus has this big cement kind of walkway where you walk down, right? And so I'm walking out, and as the game is finished, people are immediately on their cell phones. Now, I can't hear the conversation, but I can only deduce what they're saying from the conversation because this is all I hear on the phone. We won. We won. And I'm thinking to myself, who's this we? You did nothing. I saw you. You were sitting on the stand eating hot dogs, drinking overpriced beer. Crazy. They go, no, 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 you don't understand. My blood is blue. <laughs> if they win, I win. That's the power of association. Jesus goes, you're not associated with me. You are an heir with me. Because I have won, you have won. Because I have overcome, you have overcome. This is the case that Paul is making for Jesus. And you've got to get this before we can go into the rest of Hebrews. You've got to put on this lens. And then he says, through whom also he created the world. Jesus created all things. And now he upholds it all 
by his power. None of the other prophets ever did this. And I think there's two lessons for us to understand in this idea that God created everything. Through whom the world was created. Number one, we have to understand that the Son existed way before Jesus ever came into Nazareth. As a matter of fact, the scripture just told us, we read that in the first few verses. Jesus was the one that actually created the world. He knows what that's supposed to look like. And number two, the Son already owned the universe by virtue of creating the universe with His Father. And we learn these two things, that everything was made by Jesus. Everything was made for Jesus. In 1 John, in John chapter 1, we read these words. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. Later it says, the Word became flesh and blood. I like how the message translation or the message paraphrase says it. The message says, the Word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. It became visible. This conversation needs to become visible. And Jesus then came not as an example for man, but as an example of man. What does a life look like that is consumed with Jesus? All I see is Jesus. I remember many years ago, a lady in the Sunday school was telling us a story that every Sunday she would do a lesson for this term. And every time she would do a lesson, no matter what the question was, the answer was Jesus. So she would do something. What's the answer? Jesus. So after the school holiday, she came back. She thought, I'm going to do something new. I'm going to try something else. So that first morning in Sunday school, she had a little squirrel in a cage. And she asked all the kids, what's this? And all the kids just looked at her. She goes, come on, guys, what's this? Nobody answered her. She said, guys, don't you know what this is? Eventually, a little kid puts up his hand. He says, ma'am, I know that's Jesus, but it looks a lot like a squirrel to me. (laughs) Can we take our eyes off the things that struggles in our culture, in this country, in our lives, and put our eyes on Jesus? As we study through the rest of Hebrews, he's now going to unpack this. He's going to start showing us, how do we deal with this? He's going to give us some tools. How do we do this? But he's saying, you're not going to get this unless you put the right lenses on. Unless you look at all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus. Jesus says this in John chapter 5. I like the message. It says, you miss the forest for the trees. Don't you know that all these Scriptures talk about me? So as we unpack this, can you... Put yourself in a spirit of of prayer and put your spirit in this place of saying, let me see Jesus throughout the series. Let me see Jesus this afternoon. Let me see Jesus tomorrow. Let me see Jesus through whatever is going to come tomorrow. Let me see Jesus this week. Let me see Jesus in my family and my work and my finance. Is that okay? Let me pray for you. Jesus... (laughs) You said here, right here in Hebrews chapter 4, that your word is is as sharp as a double-edged sword. 
And it divides spirit and soul. It divides flesh and blood. Lord, your word is that powerful. And Lord, maybe there is a lot of scripture that was read. It, it, it might be even information overload, Lord. But it's okay because your word penetrates our spirits. And then it also says, Lord, that your word will not return to you empty. So Lord, come this morning. And in the start of this journey, come and arrest our hearts, our souls, our spirits. And come and divide, Father, the things of this world with the things of the Spirit. The supernatural, as we said this morning. Lord, let us keep our eyes on Jesus, the author, the factor of our faith. So Jesus, I want to pray for for every person here this morning, whether they know you or not, whether they've made that commitment or not, Lord, that you would start revealing yourself to them. Show them Jesus. Consider him. Consider him this morning. And Jesus, I want to pray that you would start a journey of faith with us and that you would start speaking through your son Jesus the final word, about who we are and what you've called us to do and be. So I just pray for every person this morning, Lord. Let them get hungry for your word. Let them get hungry for your spirit. Let them see Jesus. I bless them in that name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Thanks, Russ.